The word of God that we see today in Exodus chapter 5 is a hard word, but it is a good word when we remember that God's mercy is sufficient even in our weakness. You see, sometimes obedience to the call of God doesn't lead to human flourishing in the short term. Sometimes obedience to the voice of God doesn't lead to peace in the short term. Sometimes obedience to the call of God doesn't make things get better in the short term. What we see in today's text is the viciousness of human oppression. What we see in today's text is What happens when human pride tries to supersede the will of God? And what happens is people are hurt. People are disappointed. People lose faith. People struggle. I think this word is an important word for Christ Community Church this morning. Because the most important question in this text is the question that is the title of this text, or this sermon, which is, who is the Lord? How we answer the question, who is the Lord, means everything. When you wake up in the morning, and there seems to be more on your plate than you have the capacity to do, who is the Lord will determine how you face that day. When you go to sleep at night, And you think of everything that you should have done that you did not do. Or everything that you should not have done that you did. Who is the Lord will determine how you process the day. When you lose your job or struggle to find one. When you lose that relationship or struggle to make the new one. Who is the Lord means everything. Now, we know the answer to the question, who is the Lord? The Bible tells us, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and kindness. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my keeper. He is the shade at my right hand. I know the word tells me that God is my help. God is my salvation. But how I answer the question, who is the Lord, in every moment of every day will determine my perspective on that moment, on that situation. We have a hard text today that we need God's help to understand. I want to give us a moment to quiet our hearts, prepare to hear the word of God, to ask God to speak to each of us individually so that we might hear him and process this moment in the right perspective. I'll give you a moment to silent your heart before the Lord and then I'll say a prayer for us.
Our Father, I, like my friends, confess our deep need for you this morning. We confess that we need to know your grace is sufficient for us. We need to know that your power is perfected even in our weakness. God, we need to hear a word from you. So I pray that you would guide the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, that I wouldn't sin against you, and that you might give us what we need, not only for today, but for the coming decades of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned in my prayer the coming decades. I think this is a text that we don't just need today. I think we need it for a long, long time. See, the truth is that the Lord is the creator of everything. The Lord is the merciful and gracious one who does not count our sins against us, but who forgives all who call on him by faith. The Lord is the shepherd of his people, protecting them from danger and giving them nourishment to satisfy all of their needs. The Lord is the strength of his people. He saves his people and fills them with songs declaring his salvation. The Lord is the one who keeps his people, who carries them and walks with them. The Lord is made visible in Jesus Christ, who showed us the intimacy of God with us and who revealed the self-giving love of God to us by dying for our sins on the cross. This is the Lord. Amen. Amen. But every day we have a choice of whether or not we're going to believe that in spite of our circumstances or in spite of what the world may try to reveal. I mean, the circumstances of this text seem to paint a picture that is different from the picture that I've been painting for us with the realities of who God is in the Word of God. What we see in this text are two answers to the question, who is the Lord? And both of them are answers that lead to a difficult and even terrible picture of reality. One answer to the question, who is the Lord, is the answer, I don't know. And that has terrible implications. The other answer to the question is, I forgot. And that also has terrible implications that we're going to see in today's passage. But the beauty is that when we don't know who the Lord is, or when we forget who the Lord is, he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He doesn't forget who he is. He doesn't forget that he's gracious and merciful and compassionate. He doesn't forget that he forgives even the sins of omission that we forget. He doesn't forget that. God is a merciful God who revealed his love to us on the cross of Jesus. That Golgotha that was a picture of the depth of human depravity, became a picture of the glory of God because of the Son of God who died on it. So even when we forget who God is, even when we forget who the Lord has said he, he himself to be, we know that God is able to remind us in our time of deepest need. There's two answers to this question that we see in this text, who is the Lord. The first is, I do not know the Lord. We see that from Pharaoh in verse 2. He says... I do not know the Lord. Now, the implications of this statement are many. But in this text, we see one implication very clearly, and that is we see a human pride that leads to a moral blindness. 
The first word of the text is printed in your bulletin is afterwards. The question is after what? Well, what's happened is Moses has come into the land of Egypt as God told him to. He's met with the elders of the people of Israel as God told him to. He's spoken the word of God to them as God told them to. And Aaron has showed them the signs as God told them to. And the people responded as God said that they would. They believed. And the last word of chapter 4 we looked at last week is the word worshipped. They worship the Lord. Now, this is a reception that would be a great reception to have. Moses comes scared, timid, thinking he is inadequate to meet the needs of God's people. And he is, except that God is on his side. And so Moses comes to the people and he speaks his word to them and they worship the Lord. So Moses probably feels pretty good coming before Pharaoh, and he speaks in the prophetic witness of the people of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But the response that Moses gets is not the response that Moses desires. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? You see, Pharaoh is filled with a human pride. Pride that takes satisfaction in his own strength or in his own accomplishments and does not give heed to where that strength or where that talent might have come from, where his position comes from. Pharaoh has forgotten what we know from Romans 13, that God sets every authority in its place and that God can both throne and dethrone every human authority. And so he says, I will not let Israel go. Now, this word from Pharaoh is setting up the stage that we're going to see play out in the next few chapters of Exodus. Namely, thus says the Lord versus thus says Pharaoh. If you move down to your text to verse 10, we read these words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. You see, the, the, the competition or the battle that's in place right now is one against its human pride versus God's sovereignty. We see the word of God and we see Pharaoh's word. And Pharaoh believes in his own word. He believes that his word should be the word that is believed and that is acted upon. And what that leads to is a moral blindness. A moral blindness that in Pharaoh's eyes begin to see people as producers instead of worshipers. You see, what Moses comes to say is that what God desires for his people is that they leave the oppression of Egypt and they go out into the wilderness, into that place that is far away from the oppression, and they feast to the Lord. What Moses is calling on his people to do is to live into who God has made them to be. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, when God makes male and female in his image, he gives them a commission. He says, I want my glory to go out into all the world. And he speaks to his people, and he gives them the work to do. He establishes a relationship with his people. And he he establishes a covenant with his people. And he sets them up to say that I want you to, to know me. I want you to hear from me. I want you to love me. God makes his people worshipers. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, which we're going to unpack in a few weeks, what we see the first commandment being is, you shall have no other gods before me. God's purpose for his people is for them to worship him. For them to do everything out of worship to God. For them to put their whole lives into God's hands. And that their work should flow from that worship. That work should be the fruit of that worship. But in Pharaoh's eyes, because of his pride... 
he mixes that work with that worship. And he says that the purpose that I have these people in my land is for their production. I want to look at the heinousness of this moral blindness. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 reads, But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Everybody say burdens. Now, burdens is an important word here. God gives us good work to do. And that work is for his glory. He made us for work. He made work to be good. But what Satan wants to do and what Pharaoh wants to do here is to make that work a burden. Now, we know if we read the Gospels, if we go to the book of Matthew and we hear the word of God to us in chapter 11, Jesus says to us, come to me, all who are weary and who work to exhaustion, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What God has intended for his people is a work that is a work from rest. Not a work to exhaustion, but a work that leads to ultimate rest, a work that's for his glory. And what Hebrews tells us is that there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. See, as people of God, we work from rest. We don't work toward exhaustion or toward burden, which is what the enemy and what the world would want us to believe. What we work for is for the glory of God, and we work toward a Sabbath rest that God has already promised us. You see, friends, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine, what he did, part of what he did, is he said that all of your labor All of your work to try to achieve some relationship with me, you can stop that work. I have come, I've paid the price for you. I die on the cross for your sins, so you don't have to work to to achieve some pleasure from God. God took pleasure in his son. So all the good work he's given us to do is from his satisfactory work on the cross. Not towards some satisfactory work that we have to produce. He doesn't call us to be just producers. He has produced us to be workers who labor for his glory. That's what God has given us to do. And so when you hear people say, hey, your work is to be a work simply for production, we can come back at that and say, no, my work is for the worship of my king, the worship of my God, which is where we can find Jesus' work sufficient for us. But Pharaoh doesn't stop with giving the people burdens. He says in, in verse 7, you shall no longer, no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And then if we skip down, to verse 17, when the foremen come and, and complain to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. You see, what Pharaoh and what the world believe is that all of our worship 
is just laziness. All of our worship is simply idle. It's not worth it. I've talked to some of you over the past few weeks who say that you've been told in the past few days that my sports team is more important than worship with God's people. I've talked to some of you in the past few days who may be thinking that what I have to offer is simply what can come from the production, the use of my hands. That if I don't have any good work to do, if I can't find a job, can't find satisfactory employment, then what am I going to do? What use am I to God? Well, we, what, we, what we know is that God does not call us to idle work. God calls us to good work. Pharaoh says that your worship is simply idle. Therefore, I'm going to throw more on you to do. What God says is, I've got good work for you to do. Come and worship me. And in that, you will find me. But Pharaoh's pride has blinded him to the purpose for human beings, which is worship, not just production. We can get trapped in the frenzy of everyday life and forget who is really on the throne. You see, Pharaoh thought he was on the throne. And so he thought that his word was the most important word. But God is the sovereign judge on the throne, and what he says will ultimately go. The first way we can answer this question, who is the Lord, is by saying, I don't know the Lord, which leads to a human pride and a moral blindness. But the second way we can answer this question, who is the Lord, is I forgot. Look with me in verse 15. It says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Now, I think what these foremen are saying is what we're going to see happen in the the middle of chapter 6 next week is that the people's slavery has brought about a bitterness of spirit such that this foreman can go to Pharaoh and say, we are your servants, your servants. I find my identity and how I relate to you, Pharaoh. I don't find my identity in the covenant you have made with your people. I don't find my identity in the heritage of my ancestors. I don't find my identity as first a servant of God, and second, a servant of Pharaoh. I see myself, Pharaoh, as your servant. And this is what happens every time we put anything in the place of God in our lives, is that we begin to see ourselves as their servants and not God's servants. If my work becomes my God and I see myself as my work servant, then I will work myself to exhaustion, and what I do will never be enough. If I see my money or my possessions as my God, and I am their servants, then I'll never have enough money. If I see my own competence or my own intelligence as my God, then I will forever 
work to try to achieve some level of sufficiency in your eyes. I'm never going to be enough, never going to be competent enough, never going to be intelligent enough. I may have three degrees, but I don't yet have enough. Whatever we put in the place of God in our lives, friends, is going to dominate us, just like Pharaoh did here. See, human authority is never going to be a match for divine authority. It's never going to lead to true rest. It's always going to take advantage of us. It's always going to manipulate us and try to subvert God's purpose for our lives. But if we see ourselves as first servants of God and second servants of boss or family or whatever, now I have the freedom in Christ to find my identity in him. And now I am free to serve them out of love for them. This is what John the Baptist said when he's talking to the tax collectors and to the, the people in, in the Roman army. When we find in the beginning of Luke is what John the Baptist says is, hey, if you're a tax collector and you're in a system that is oppressive, then be a person of peace in the midst of that oppression. If you're a Roman soldier and, you, and your whole purpose is to step on people and bring them down, then what I'm asking you to do is to do your work as unto God, not as unto men. You see, what we find is if we, if we correctly have our servitude, if we correctly have our view of God's sovereignty, if we correctly remember that Jesus Christ died to free me to radical service of love, I'm no longer going to see myself as simply the servant of whatever, fill in the blank. I'm going to see myself as first a servant of God and then free to serve anything else. So the foreman forgot. Never they forgot their own humanity. But Moses also forgets. In verses 22 and 23, we read this. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. Moses forgets. He forgets who the Lord is. In fact, in, this, in these verses, we can even seem to read that Moses seems to equate in some way God's work with Pharaoh's work. That God is doing this evil to his people as Pharaoh does this evil to his people. And he forgets the promise that was made in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Flip over a couple pages back to the left. Where God says to Moses in verse 15, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this I to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Verse 18 says, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. See, if Moses would remember who the Lord is, he would remember that God told him he would go to the elders and that they would listen to him in spite of his thought that they would not which is exactly what happened. He would remember that in verse 19, God would say, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. He would know that this 
word from Pharaoh, not letting people go, is actually God's word being fulfilled. And this proves that God is on the throne. He would remember that in verse 20, God said, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. You see, Moses has forgotten that God's promise is being fulfilled in his life. That we just saw it about 23 verses earlier. That he went to the people and they believed him and they worshipped. What God is telling us in this text is that we have an answer to the question which is of who is the Lord. And that we can answer that question with, I don't know, or that I forgot. But if we do we'll ultimately begin seeing other people and seeing ourselves as less than what God made us to be. But there's a word here, friends, that that I really want us to hear. And that is that God is a gracious God who is very much able in the midst of our forgetfulness, in the midst of our ignorance, to meet us right there. See, part of what chapter 5 is doing for us is showing us that any other king is just not a good enough king for us to serve. Pharaoh ain't good enough. These foremen aren't good enough. These taskmasters aren't good enough. They're going to ultimately dehumanize us and make us less than what God made us to be. But we have a king who is on the throne who hears the cry of our hearts. And I want us to see something in this text from Moses that we might ultimately miss. I want you to notice a change that has taken place in Moses. Now, if you still have your Bibles out, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. We read this a few weeks ago. And this is when we first found out what was going on with the people of Israel. They're in Egypt They're being treated ruthlessly by Pharaoh. And in chapter 2, verse 11, we read these words. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. We see a similar story here as what we see in our text today. Pharaoh is treating the Hebrew people ruthlessly. He's taken this people and made the whole lot of them slaves. He's tried to turn the midwives against their own people through forced infanticide. He's created an apartheid state in which every Egyptian is now an agent of genocide against the Hebrew people. There's no separate but equal. There's only separate and slave. And let me pause here to say that I think this is exactly what Satan wants you to to believe. He wants you to think that though God may have made a covenant with you through the blood of his only begotten son, that though God may have taken you out of the world of famine and darkness and planted you in the kingdom of feasting and light, that though God may have given you spiritual fruitfulness through the power of his Holy Spirit, that though God may have spared your life over and over again through the faithfulness of those around you, even those faithful women who have prayed for you and suffered for you and given you all of their strength. You know some of the grandmothers I'm talking about. That though God has done all of that for you, that Satan wants to convince you, church, that you are separate and that you are slave, that you deserve to be placed under Pharaoh. 
He wants you to think that you are separate. He wants you to think that you were never meant to be united with Christ. He wants to convince you that the affliction you face means that God is distant from you. He wants you to think that your difficulty today, your difficulty last week, your difficulty next month, means you are separated from him. He wants you to be separate. Like that prodigal son who thought that he was far, because he was far from his father's presence, that he was far from his father's mind. But that wasn't the truth, was it? Little did he know that in all that distance that separated him, he was right in the center of his father's thoughts and right in the center of his father's prayers. He was not far from his father's mind. But Satan wants you to live like you're separate. And Satan wants you to live like you're a slave. He wants you to think that you're still dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He wants you to think that you are like a zombie following the course of this world. He wants you to forget that if anyone is in Christ, new creation. He wants you to forget that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants you to forget that our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord who breaks chains, who heals lives, who opens the eyes of the blind. Satan wants you to live like you're, like you're still a slave. And friends, if we look this way and we look that way, we might think that. Our situation, like the situation in our text, may lead us to believe that God is somehow not in control. But I want you to notice what Moses does in chapter 5 that he didn't do in chapter 2. In chapter 2, when Moses sees injustice, he looks this way and that, and then seeing no one, he strikes an Egyptian and hides him in the sand. He takes matters into his own hands, thinking he's the deliverer of God's people. But in chapter 5, in chapter 5, when Moses sees Pharaoh's ruthless treatment of the Hebrew slaves and their foremen, when he hears his own people condemn him, and we didn't talk about this, but they call God's judgment down on him. He doesn't look this way in that. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He tried that before. As an 80-year-old with more wisdom than he had as a 40-year-old, he doesn't do the same thing. He does what we see in verse 22, which is Moses turned to the Lord. Moses turns to the Lord. He doesn't look to his own strength to fight the injustice all around him. He knows that won't work. Moses doesn't look to the hand of Pharaoh to fight the injustice all around him. The foreman already tried that, and they found Pharaoh to be a terrible savior and a terrible redeemer. Moses, in all of his weakness and fear and insecurity, does the only thing he knows to do. He doesn't know what to do. Moses turns to the Lord. Moses expresses his disappointment to the Lord. He takes his grief to the Lord. He lifts his eyes to the Lord. He empties his heart to the Lord. He raises his voice to the Lord. He pours out his complaint to who? To the Lord. In the English Standard Version, in the heading of Psalm 102, we read these words. It says, Psalm 102 is a prayer of one afflicted, one who is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. That's, what we, that's the context we have here in, 
in Exodus chapter 5, a people who are afflicted, a people who are faint, a people who are complaining. But the foremen go pour out their complaint to Pharaoh, and it doesn't work. So what do you do when you find yourself in the middle of affliction? What do you do when you're faint waiting on the justice of the Lord? What do you do when you are faint waiting for the redemption of the Lord, whether in the community or in your own heart? What do you do when you are faint and seeking the kingdom of the Lord or his righteousness? You pour out your complaint to the Lord. I want you to hear the words of Psalm 102, verses 1 and 2. It says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. You see, the righteous prayer of one afflicted is a prayer of desperation for the answer of God. It's a prayer that is only satisfied with seeking and finding the face of God. Even in his complaint, the righteous prayer is one that waits for the voice of God alone. And we're going to find out next week are these words in verse 1, chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses. We're going to hear God's word go to Moses in the midst of his complaint. In the midst of his darkness, God's going to bring a light that's going to remind him of his covenant to Moses. We're going to see written Moses' heritage, who he is, who his ancestors were, what God has promised to him. God's going to bring light to Moses' darkness because he calls out to him. He pours out his complaint to him. You see, what we can learn from today, from today's text, is that in the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our despair, that God is not absent. That the Lord, who is gracious and merciful, is still very much there. You see, one commentator in commenting on on this text says, The way from death to life will pass through many a Gethsemane. You see, friends, suffering is part of our vocation if we seek to love people and seek to walk in God's calling for us. And that might result in more evil today. It might feel like more evil today. But the ultimate fruit of us walking in obedience to the voice of God is his redemption. You see, in a few chapters, we're going to read that Pharaoh began to know who God is. And when he finally sends the people out, he's going to say, you go out and you go pray for me too. We're going to see even Pharaoh's heart begin to shift. But we're going to see God get the glory. Who is the Lord? He is the God who took your sins on the cross. He is the God who answers you in the day when you call for him. So even if today is a day of affliction or desperation, or next year is a year of affliction and desperation, call on the Lord. He will be ready and waiting to answer you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you that the pharaohs of the world don't win. I thank you that in the midst of our affliction, you are able to meet us there, to answer us when we call. God, give your people grace to turn to you, to not look to any other hand to feed them but yours. God, hallow your name in our city. We want all the people in our community and even from the depths of our own hearts to know that you are the Lord. You are the God of redemption. 
You are the God who is bringing about justice. We look to you for our need. We pray this in Jesus' name.